We're going to open our Bibles tonight to the book of Philippians. <laughs> Praise God. We'll talk about something a little bit different tonight. And, uh, of course, the one thing we glory in, the one thing we rejoice in above all, is the power of the cross and the resurrection, what Jesus has done for us. You know, you can spend a, many services about bragging about how much you love Jesus, but uh, it's, it's even better to brag about how much He loves you. You know, it's good to love Him. It's good that you say, I love you. You know, He delights in that. It's good that you, that you loudly express your love, but boy, it's wonderful to express His love for you, that you understand that, understand what He did for us and the transforming work that happened on the cross and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We live in a new season. We live in a new reality. We live in new creation. And it's a great place to be. And we're going to talk tonight about something that comes out of that and uh, something that was lost but through Jesus is found. And that's innocence. And I realize that that may be something, that's not a term we use a lot. We don't talk about innocence too much. One of, the, one of the biggest things that was lost in the garden, and we'll go into it, was the innocence that they had, where they knew God and they knew good. What was the tree called? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they ate of it, they did not just know good, they knew evil. Innocence was lost. And I, I know that we live in a world that's corrupt. We live in a world that's perverse. It's under a curse, but you don't have to be corrupt, perverse, or under a curse. We've been set free from all of that. So while we're in the middle of a world that's messed up, you say, well, how can I be innocent anymore? I can't, I can't keep from seeing what's going on. I can't keep from hearing what's going on. I know what's going on, and I can't wipe that out of my mind. Neither do you need to wipe all of that out of your mind, but... I believe that God is bringing us to a place where we don't know evil like the world knows evil. Where we don't know the voice of a stranger like we know the voice of the shepherd. And that's a level of purity that we seek. And so we're going to look in Philippians chapter 2, and we've read from this verse several times, but it'll be a blessing to you every time. Philippians 2. We're going to start in verse 12. Of course, you know before verse 12, there's the epic, and I mean epic, telling of Jesus laying down His, his deity, laying down who He could have been, laying down His name, His reputation, and taking the form of a bondservant, taking the form, uh, our form, and, and becoming humbled, humbling Himself, becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because he did that, God highly exalted him. Gave him the name above every name, that at that name every knee shall bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In verse 12 it says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We of course know that he does not say work for it. He says work it out. It's in you. God, you've been saved. Thank God. Now work that out. Live it out. Don't let it just stay in the inside. Let it work its way to the outside. And he says this in verse uh, 13. For it is God who, has, who is at work in you. It's God who is at work in you. Both to will and to work for His good pleasure. I love that verse, don't you? That it's God who's doing the real work. It's God who's at work in us. And He's giving us the desire to do His will. And He's giving us the ability to do His will. That's a lot. He's not forcing you. He's not, he's not telling you to do something He's not able to put the will inside you to do. And He's not putting the will inside you to do something you can't do. It's God who's doing all of it inside of us. Thank you, Jesus. And so He says this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
Now, he doesn't give you any exceptions, does he? There's no loopholes in this. I, I mean, there aren't. You can look and you may study it for a long time. But there are no loopholes in this. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. No grumbling, no disputing, so that you will prove yourselves. So if you're going to prove yourself, he doesn't say so you will make yourselves. He says prove yourselves. That means you already are something, right? But you're going to prove it. He says, so that you will prove yourselves or you will show that you are blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast, that means holding on tight and holding it forth, the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. There's a lot in that. What I want to focus on tonight is what he says we will be. He says we will prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach. Now he says we're in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, but yet you're innocent. This word innocent, this this particular word in the original language shows up only three times in the New Testament. The word innocent, at least in my Bible, shows up several times. But there's two different words that are translated as innocent. One means without guilt, right? In other words, not guilty. That's the innocent we're familiar with, right? You're innocent. In other words, you're, you're just not guilty. And you, we thank God through Jesus Christ we've been declared innocent. This is a different type of innocent. This is not innocent as in not guilty. This is innocent, and literally it means, while the other innocent says without guilt, this one means without mixing, without anything else, just without, without any mixing. In other words, pure. Another translates, tra- translation translates this word from time to time as simple. And none of us really like to be called simple, do we? Would you like God to call you simple? Ah, you're just really simple, aren't you? Uh, you know, thank God he, He's working through you simple people. No, but there is a simplicity or a purity that God has called us to. So this is not innocent without guilt. This is innocent as in there's nothing. There, it's like without guile, without any mixing. It's just pure. Like a child who has not yet seen how evil the world could be. Like we were in the garden innocent of evil I remember uh, sitting in Rocky Mountain House and uh, Pastor David McGrew said something that shocked me he said God's number one solution for evil was innocence I was like whoa that doesn't mean it's his only solution but his first solution for evil was innocence so don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil his, I mean his number one plan for them was not even to know evil This goes against what the world teaches you. The spirit of the world teaches you that all things you need to have knowledge about. That that explore everything, learn everything. They encourage you to tell your children, to teach your children to explore and to learn everything. I believe in study. I believe in knowledge. I believe in science. But I do not believe that we need, we need to needlessly expose ourselves to evil just so we can learn about it, just so we can know it. There are things that God has cleaned you up from, He's cleansed you from, and there is something to be said for an innocent soul. And I'm not talking about innocent as in you're not guilty. I'm talking about innocent as in it's not clouded with a bunch of grooves in your soul that have been created from past experiences that are hard to get out of. We've all come to a place where we understand that Jesus Christ has made us clean. And that our past may have some rocky points, may have some dirty points. But we know we've been cleaned up, right? I want to tell you that one of the works of the cross was not just to make you not guilty of that. Not just innocent as a not guilty. One of the works of the cross was to clean your soul. That you no longer would bear the memory of that. Now, you may remember you committed it, but there's a difference between remembering it in a sterile, almost like you're looking at somebody else live a life. 
as opposed to remembering it and it still scars you. Jesus came to heal those scars. He came to redeem you and set you free from those things. So you can look back. Now I've talked to many people who've, who've struggled with addictions, things like that in their past. And when Jesus set them free, it's interesting to hear so many of them say, I don't, I don't have that craving anymore. I, I, don't, I feel like sometimes I'm remembering a different person. I think that's what God can do. And the interesting thing is, is that He says that you prove yourselves blameless and innocent in the middle of a perverse and crooked generation. But that crooked and perverse generation is dark. And He says you'll appear as lights. There's got to be something different here. We are light in the middle of darkness. We are something that's not crooked, not perverse, in the middle of a bunch of things that are crooked and perverse and twisted. We all know, and we've said this plenty of times before, but the evil in the world, everything that's wrong, it is perversion. Perversion means to take something straight and to make it crooked. To twist it up beyond its straightness. So when God created you, He made when He created humanity, He gave us good and perfect gifts. Do you hear that? They are perfect. There's no flaw in them. What the enemy tries to do is to counterfeit and to pervert what God has created. When God created human sexuality, it was perfect. He looked down on it and said, it is good. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. Gave him a helpmate. Gave him a lover. What Satan came to do was to pervert that. And twist it. And friends, if you've had your eyes open in the past few years, or as long as I've been alive, our recognition of God's original plan is so twisted beyond recognition. So twisted beyond all image of what it was supposed to be. That we barely recognize until you're born again and mind is renewed you barely recognize the real thing you turn on any television show and the best we can hope for in a movie and I'm, I'm, I'm saying this somewhat facetiously I don't, I don't want you to lower your standards as far as movies but has, has it got to the point in society where almost the best we can hope for is just that they don't show what they're doing we know what's happening, but at least they don't show it. That's whether we'll let our kids go as if they don't show what's happening. It shouldn't be this way. Whether they see it or not, people fill in blanks. People figure out things. And kids are smarter than we give them credit for. They fill in the blanks and they say, wait a second, you've told me all my life that someday I'd be married and that when, that when there was a union where two became one under God, that that was a good thing. But what I'm seeing here is that there are other ways and there are other things and, and there are other versions of what you've said is good. And either they know from a young age that that isn't right or they grow up going along with the world and understanding what the world teaches and they become from a pure, innocent child to a crooked and perverse adult. Do you know we call perverted people the ones who are very just out there, the ones who are just really vocal in their perversion. We call perverted people the people that yell out what they want to do. But do you know, without Jesus, there is a lot of perversion that people keep under the surface. You'll call somebody a pervert if they touch you on a bus. But listen, perversion is not just of that nature there's perversion in all perversion in business, perversion in conversation. There's perversion in all these things. Now listen, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to tell you that we've got to remember God is the giver of life. He is the creator of every good and perfect gift. And we can come back to that standard when the world is of a different standard. We can be shining as lights. And it's going to be clear in our generation more than any other generation where the light is and where the darkness is because they're getting further apart the dark is getting darker the light must get lighter to be relevant to a dark world you don't have to become darker because what the world is looking for is light 
In fact, the more light you carry, the more relevant you'll be because you'll reach further. And you'll be more apparently different than the rest of the world. We're not ostracizing anybody. We're not alienating people. For Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. I came to seek and save the lost. That's us. That's what we're doing. We were lost. Now we're found. Now we're part of the team that finds. We're part of the hand of God that goes and rescues. We're the rescuers. That's cool. And so when we find out we are the rescuers... We've got to offer them something. We say, well, I want to I, I find the lost. I want to save the lost. You better know what they need when you get to them. They don't need a buddy to be lost with. They need to be found. And so, this innocence that was stolen from humanity, I believe very strongly, can be restored through Jesus Christ. That you can be in the middle. Listen, Lest you think that this is just a fairy tale, there's no way you can be innocent because there's so much evil around us. There's no way you can keep your mind from knowing it and being familiar with it. Let me tell you, he says right here, innocent, in the middle of a perverse and crooked generation, that you can be light in the middle of darkness. I'm talking about a different source of life where our source is Him. We're not drawing light from the world. We're not drawing truth from the world. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. So we're drinking from a different well. We can have different results. We're not drinking of the world. The world has they, they got gross stuff because they've been drinking from a disgusting stream. We have life that comes from the giver of life. And that's the life we offer to the world. Freely. Without judgment. Without condemnation. We offer it freely. Come, all you who are thirsty. If, you want, if you're thirsty, come. We offer life. We offer light if you're in darkness. We offer hope if you're hopeless. We offer something different. This should be a refuge from the world, not a cheap imitation. And so, I believe this innocence is not a fairy tale. It's not something that, that, that we just give up on. I believe that it was just as dark in Paul's days as it is today. We don't have to be afraid of the dark. It doesn't have to affect us. He says that we're going to prove ourselves blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach wow blameless like Daniel where they had to make up a law to get him on something that doesn't mean you never mess up it means when you do mess up you don't hide it under the rug you fix it and you let God fix it and you move on and what does he say the repentance that leads to salvation without regret is what's promised us. Midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Wow, that's, that's a cool thought to me is to know that uh, what Jesus prayed when He said to God, God, I, Father, I don't ask that You take them out of the world. I, you've, you sent me to the world, I'm sending them to the world. And I don't ask that you take them out of the world, which is dirty and disgusting and perverted. But I ask that you keep them from the evil one. Wow. That's what's been promised us. Neil, listen, if Jesus prayed that, we can have that. I don't think Jesus prayed a prayer that went unanswered. So if he said, here's my prayer for these believers in 2011, not that you take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. You'd keep them from His perverting influence, from His crooked nature, from His design for their life. He can't touch them. That you keep them from that. That when the serpent comes in the garden with his lies, that you can be kept from those lies. Let's look in Romans 15. Or 16, I'm sorry. See, we're going to read all three verses in the New Testament where this concept of innocent is mentioned. Because I want you to see the grand scheme of what he's saying. In Romans 16, verse 19, uh, when we were in youth, when I was a teenager, one of the most popular songs was Romans 16, 19 says. 
It was really kind of a silly song. <laughs> it was the word, but it was sung in a very silly way. Romans 16, 19 says, and we'd repeat that several times, and that was everybody's favorite part because it had a cool guitar riff. And then, uh, then of course, you'd be excellent. What is good? Be innocent of evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. Yeah. And we, we, we stomped. God will crush him underneath your feet. We jumped and, and stomped him. And, and I don't know if anything changed when we sang that song, but it, it taught us this verse. Romans 16, 19 says, For the report of your obedience has reached all, to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good. Now, think about that for a minute. God has, has showed us how to be wise in what is good. That means well-learned, well-taught, that you've explored what is good. You've do do dove into it. That's the word I'm looking for. You've dove into what is good. You've researched. You've discovered. You're exploring the beauty and the depths of all the good things that are in Christ Jesus. All the riches, all the treasures that are in Him. That you are more skilled and knowledgeable about what is good than anything else. But listen, while you know what's good, while you're wise in what's good, then he says, an innocent in what is evil. Once again, that's not the word innocent, which means not guilty. That's the word that means you don't know it. You know of it, because the Bible says don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. But you don't know it. You're not familiar with it. Now, now listen, this means that you can be on the street ministering to people that have the worst problems and the worst issues and some of the worst ideas and you still can be innocent. You can minister to them on a level like Jesus would minister to them. Not, not as a holier than thou, I'm above you kind of person, but seeking and saving these people without becoming stained by it. That your conscience can remain pure before God. And that that evil can be as unfamiliar to you. I know this is messing with our brains because we go, how can it be unfamiliar if God sent me to these people? There is a difference between seeing it and participating it. There's a difference in, in knowing of it and knowing it like, like, one, like a man knows his wife. There's a difference in letting it into your soul. That you can be clean and pure, above reproach, innocent. Listen, he says, I want you to be skilled. I want you to be educated about what's good. I want you to, I want you to know good. And I want you to be innocent. Or, as another translation says, simple with evil. You know? You ever thought of what somebody's simple? When we go, that person's just simple. That means they just don't know it. They just don't know very much. God is bringing us back to a place of innocence where our souls, our brains, our memories are not scarred with the trenches dug deep from experience in evil. But you're being renewed and cleaned up. Does not mean you're becoming gullible. Does not mean that you're becoming stupid does not mean that you're becoming useless to the world, but it means that you finally believe in a new reality where there is hope for this stuff. You see, the difference is, is the world, here's what evil has done to them. Evil has worked its way into our minds and in our thoughts in such a way that they no longer call it evil. It's familiar. Friends, what we used to... I mean, think about it. When we think of the oldies on TV... The shows from the 50s, you go, well, those are shows that my kids can watch. Why? Because those shows didn't show all the dirt they show now. There's been a searing of the conscience. There's been a slow and steady numbing of the senses, of the knowledge of good. We know less of good, and we know more of evil. And what happens, guys, when you know more of evil... I, I, what the enemy would like to tell you is learn about it so that you can fight it. But here's what I'm telling you. Here's what really happens. You become familiar with it and it becomes okay. God is going to protect you from that. God will send you to the most messed up people. The most hurting people. The people with the biggest problems that are struggling with these very things. And yet He will keep you from it. What did Paul, Jesus say to Paul? I'm rescuing you from the Jews and the Gentiles 
to whom I'm sending you. I'm rescuing you from them. And I'm sending you to them. Jesus, if you're going to rescue me, don't send me there. We've got to understand, you can be kept in His love. You can be kept in His purity where your conscience does not become seared. What does a seared conscience... The Scripture talks about a seared conscience, doesn't it? What is a seared conscience talking about? That's talking about somebody who used to have a firm sense, a very sensitive sense on what was good and what was wrong. But over time, they were pricked. The conscience was pricked with evil. And the first time they recoiled, for it didn't feel good. Second time, they toughed it out. And more and more, your conscience becomes seared. If you've ever gotten a burn or a scar, you know that if you push hard enough, you can feel pressure. But the sensitivity is gone. My fingers, I can't feel much on them because I've played guitar for so long that they've become calloused. That's a good thing when you play guitar because you, I mean, I, I remember playing the bass and bleeding on the strings and I'm glad those days are over. Um, but, yeah, a lot of you had that grossed out look on your face, I'm sorry. But now my fingers are, are calloused on the fingertips so I, I can play without it hurting. But I can't feel like I used to be able to feel. These fingertips, I can feel pressure, but I'm not as sensitive as I used to be. That's what happens to men and women's conscience. It becomes seared over time. The more it's exposed, the more the pain of what evil has done to us is ignored, the more we get used to it. Now listen, this is not a message of gloom. This is a message of hope. You don't have to be seared. In fact, I'm reminded of what the scripture says in Titus, and I'll read it to you if I can. He says here in verse 15 of chapter 1 To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled, what does defiled mean to you? Defiled means something that used to be clean is now dirty. Defiled means something that used to be pure. It's not pure anymore. To those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience, listen, their conscience are defiled. Their mind and their conscience are both defiled. Now, the good news is, that doesn't have to be us. Because what Jesus did was He redeemed us. He bought us back. And through His blood, He did not just make you innocent as in not guilty. But He is renewing our mind through His Word. So that we become innocent as in not knowing evil. That we'll get to the place, friends, where the more time you spend in His Word and with Him, He the, just, just does His beautiful work on you and begins to work in such a way that your conscience is clean and clear and pure. And He says that the ones who aren't pure, aren't, they're defiled. What are they also? They're unbelieving. Which tells me that the way to be pure and to stay pure is not just by your work, but by your faith. That it is His work that cleans you up. It is His work that purifies you. It is His work that gets you to have a clean conscience. And I can tell you that in Hebrews, because Hebrews says the old, the old uh, sacrifices, they, they would absolve you of sin. They'd cover up your sin so you'd be innocent, as in not guilty. But it said it did not have the power to make perfect the consciences of the sacrifice, the person who was making the sacrifice. While it could make you not guilty, it could not make you innocent. But here's what he did. He not only made you not guilty, but through his blood sprinkled clean our conscience. So it says, so we can serve the living God with a clean conscience. This means that you could have come out of a terrible horrible history horrible childhood horrible teenagehood horrible adulthood filled with memories and emotions filled with the knowledge of sin and all that it does to you and Jesus can fill and heal the cracks he could take away the memory 
He can take away those images that you can't get out of your mind and make your conscience as if you never did anything. I believe this. In Matthew 10, we don't have to turn there. Jesus said to them, He said, when I send you out, I want you to be innocent as doves and wise as serpents. Now, why did He tell them to be wise as serpents? What was that about? I've heard people use that as an excuse to be tricky when you're witnessing. I don't, now, I, I believe, we've talked about this before, that Paul said to the Corinthian church, we have renounced the things hidden because, because of shame. We've renounced mani- manipulation and craftiness. We're, and adulterating the word, we're not doing it. So it's not saying it'll be tricky, you know, like, uh, would you like a magazine? Oh, by the way, you know, I mean, I got my foot in the door. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. No, that's not what he means. Because he's talking about a group of perverted and crooked individuals that they're going to witness to. They're going to minister to. And he says, some of them want to throw you in prison. Some of them will want to kill you. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That means don't be gullible. Don't fall for their traps. Don't fall for their trickery. Don't, don't, Don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. But you can be wise. You can be not ignorant and at the same time be innocent. Isn't that wonderful? That means you can help somebody addicted to pornography without being addicted to pornography. You can help somebody addicted to drugs without knowing the feeling of heroin in your stream. You can help somebody be delivered from evil without knowing evil. This is what the world says. It's impossible. You don't know what they're going through. I don't have to know what they're going through because I know Jesus who says He is not unsympathetic with your weaknesses. He knows your weaknesses. And I can show you the high priest who knows your weakness. And He's the one who can fix you. Because I don't have to. My job isn't to fix you. My job is to lead you to the one who can. I'm not ignorant. I'm not ignorant of Satan's devices. Listen, I know what a life of drugs does. I've been around enough addicts. I know what alcohol does. I've been enough around enough alcoholics. I know what molestation does. I've been around enough molest, molested children. But here's the deal. I don't have to be scarred by that. I don't have to know evil to be able to save somebody. To let Jesus save somebody. Let's go to the garden. Genesis to the very beginning of it all chapter 3 what a wonderful story I know it doesn't sound wonderful. You go, this is where the human race got messed up. Why do you call that wonderful? Because in it, you still see God's plan for man. You still see God's love for mankind. It's interesting how much of His love we see in the story of our fall. You know, sometimes His love is most apparent at our worst. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's any stronger. Because His love is always maxed out. It, it couldn't, I mean, it's always at full volume. It's never less or more. It's just always full, Right? But sometimes we can see it clearly at the times that we don't really deserve love. So sometimes when we read the fall, we still see God's pursuit of man and God's plan for redemption. That's just before we go to Genesis 3. I want, I want to show you Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. So what did God give them? Something pleasing and good and food. God gave them pretty things to look at and good things to eat. Could you ask for anything better? They had the knowledge of good. God gave them good. He gave them perfect. Because every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shifting a shadow. God gave them good and perfect gifts. They knew what good was. And He says, it says here in the rest of the verse, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and so there was a tree of life does it say did he tell them they couldn't touch the tree of life did he say they couldn't eat from the tree of life they had life freely but also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good 
and evil. Now we're going to skip down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, said, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Why did God tell him not to eat from that? He said, don't eat from that because, don't eat from that because I, I just, you know, I just don't trust you. I don't eat from that because, uh, you know, it's, it's just too tasty for you. No, he says, don't eat from that because you'll die. That's just God's message. God is not a, a weird, you know, cranky old man that wants you off his lawn. God is, I mean, he loves you. He says, don't eat from this because you'll die. You know, people say, well, I mean, it's a misunderstanding of the Scripture when you say that knowledge of evil came from the law. The Bible says the knowledge of sin came from the law. But knowledge of evil came from the garden. Knowledge of sin meant that we knew what we were doing was wrong. That's what happened. When God gave the law, He said, you guys are doing this. It's wrong. Stop doing it so you can live. Keep doing it and you die. This, was a, this is a God of love. Just because the old covenant is not as good as our new covenant doesn't mean it was a bad deal. It was pretty good. We just have a better covenant. Thank God. But look at this. That's off the point. For on the day that you shall eat from it, you will surely die. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Now, here's the thing. Satan's lies, Satan's tricks have not been updated too much. They're the same. And one of the first things he tries to do is to twist what God has said, to question what God has said. Didn't God say... Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it. Now, from what I could see, God didn't say don't touch it. He just said don't eat from it. But this is what Eve says, so whatever. Or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. So he's contradicting the word of the Lord. See, God shows us what good is through his word. He gives us a path through his word. And the best way to get you off that is to question the Word. And they'll do that. The world will do that through many different ways. Try to question what God has said. To question the validity of the Bible. To question its authors. Anytime you hear people over-humanizing the Bible. Saying, well, that was the way Paul was. Or that was the way James was. Or that was the way Peter was. I get a little bit nervous because I remember that the Bible says that every word, every scripture was God-breathed. So whoever wrote it, wrote it because the Spirit gave them something to write. So when we get all, well, this was Paul's style, this was Peter's style, I realize to a point that helps, but you get past that point and it begins to corrupt and humanize the Word. And it takes it from the Word of God and makes it the Word of men. And that's Satan's first job, is to make you question what God has said. Then here's what it says. You surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know, the funny thing is, Satan doesn't really even disguise what this is going to do. He just makes it sound better. He doesn't, he doesn't lie about what this is going to do, except for the fact that they will not die. But he twists it into something good. Like knowing evil might be a good thing because it will make you like God. And this, isn't this the lie that we're continually faced with? It's the same lie that our kids are faced with continually. That, that it's good to know these things. It's good to experience these things. Get out there. Experience it. And what God is saying is, I'm keeping you from these things. And there's a limit to what we'll let our kids experience. You can't find a person, at least you shouldn't be able to find a person, that'll say it's good for your three-year-old to see somebody murdered or raped. No. Because we've all got different standards about what they can see. Oh, but it's good for them to explore and understand and know all these things. Listen, I believe I want my kid to explore and, and study. I want them to, I want 
those little kids, I want their minds to be open to the things of God. I want them to know good. I want them to be wise in what is good. I want them to be able to find the unsearchable riches of Christ. I want them to know what God has created and to study the science of all the beauty that He's made. I want them to get out there and discover different civilizations and cultures. But I don't want them to get out there and be exposed and familiar with what God has not created and what in fact is a perversion. I don't want them to have to know that before they have to encounter that. As long as I can, I'm going to keep them from and then I know that when they do encounter it, God will keep them from the evil one. And they can be in the middle of a perverse and crooked generation and still be innocent. Wow. Oh, it takes that pressure off you. You don't have to freak out as parents. You don't have to be one of those weird parents that hides out in the mountains with a rifle that, that says, you know, I don't want my kids coming out in contact with the outside world. If you come within 100 feet of my lawn, I'm going to shoot you. You don't have to worry about it. But you do have to be vigilant. Because what Satan will work on is their mind. But what God can work with is their mind. So light is greater than darkness. Amen. I don't want you to get scared. Nothing good comes out of fear. What good comes out of love, doesn't it? So here's what he says. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise. There are three things she sees. Do you know those three things are described in 1 John? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He says these are the things of the world. And he says don't love the things of the world. 1 John, which is the love book, right? <laughs> if we describe 1 John, it's all about love. If you want to know about the love of God and how we love each other, look at 1 John. But in 1 John, right in the middle of all that love is a do not love. What? Do not love. I thought this was a love book. Do not love the things of the world. And he says these things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, these are the things of the world. Stay away from this. And this is what Eve saw, right? The lust of the eyes, it's pretty. It's a delight to my eyes. The lust of the flesh, I see that it's good for food. It'll taste good. It'll delight my senses. And the pride of life, it will make me wise like God. Which was Satan's original sin, right? I want to be like God. That's what he passes on to us. You want to be like God. She, she bought the lies. And those are the same lies that have been circulating the world ever since. They haven't changed. They haven't got more sophisticated. We just haven't got more sophisticated. And we fall for the same stuff. Here's what he says. Here's what it says, I should say. So she took from its fruit and ate. And she also gave it to her husband with her. And he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Now, we, we, we see eyes open. We think that's a great thing, right? Hey, their eyes were opened. But it wasn't a good thing. And they knew that they were naked they knew that they were naked they had been without physical clothing all that time clothed in the glory of the Lord with no shame for they did not know evil and all of a sudden they know their own nakedness and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings do you think those fig leaves were, fig leaves were as good as what they had before they sinned no that's what religion does. That's, that's what just dead religion does. Dead religion is just like those fig, fig leaves. It's a, it's a fleshly attempt to replicate what God did. It's an attempt by our own works to make ourselves presentable before God. That's what those fig leaves were. Fig leaves were. Just a religious attempt by our own work to make ourselves holy. And that is impossible. Didn't work, did it? They still knew they were naked. They just had fig leaves in front of them now. God later killed an animal and clothed them with it. There's a lot of symbolism in that, but we won't talk about that right now. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man of his, his wife... Now remember, God used to walk with Adam in the cool of the day. And then it says, And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
Then the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? Now, this may be terrifying for Adam and Eve, but I think it's wonderful that it's God chasing them. When they sinned, God chased them. What an image of grace. What an image of His love. That they're the ones that should be chasing God. But instead, God has pursued them. In their sin, in their disease, in their ugliness, God looked for them. And isn't that all of our stories? When we were lost, He came and found us. We didn't have to go find Him. He came and chased us and said, Where are you? Verse 10. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. I was conscious of my own wickedness. I was conscious of evil. I knew evil and I knew it in me. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? See, it was not a good thing for their eyes to be open to that. Innocence was a gift from God. Now they're conscious of their own sin instead of his goodness have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat and the man said the woman whom you gave to be with me she gave me from the tree and I ate then the Lord God said to the woman what is this you've done the woman said the serpent deceived me and I ate the Lord God said to the serpent because you've done this cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel a prophecy of what Jesus would do to the woman he said I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth in pain you will bring forth children yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you then to Adam he said because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. He's just told them what would happen. You really are going to die. I gave you eternal life and you gave it up. And they lost their innocence that day. And we all lost it that day. But we all know that what the first Adam did was not greater than what Jesus Christ the last Adam did. And I'm here telling you right now what was done by the curse was undone by Jesus Christ for all those who call on His name. If we lost innocence then, we regain it through Jesus Christ. Through His blood, He is able to make perfect the consciences of those who make the sacrifices. He's able to make perfect the worshipers. He's able to make perfect His saints. And that means innocence can be returned. That means you can be what Jesus said, innocent as doves. What Paul said, innocent and blameless, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked, perverse generation, in which you shine as lights in the universe, and holding fast the word of life. Romans 16, that you can be wise in the good things and simple, innocent of evil. I believe that there is something we need to know. And that is, first of all, this purity comes from Jesus. It's by His sacrifice, it's by His blood. But friends, the other thing you need to do that let that purity work its way into you and don't let the other things in don't expose yourself to crookedness and perversion and become familiar and okay with it we talked about a, few month, a couple months ago knowing Jesus as shepherd and remember he said my sheep follow me because they, they know my voice that's why they follow me they know my voice and he says a stranger they will not follow because they don't know him. They don't know his voice. You have to watch what voices are coming into your life. What comes before your eyes. What goes into your ears. Listen, we're going out to rescue. We're going out to seek and save. Don't expose yourself needlessly to a justification of things that God calls wicked and perverse. I say this not to condemn you, but to give you hope. 
All is not lost, guys. All is not lost. This is not the end. This is, I mean, it's not the end for us. <laughs> we near the end of the world, but it's not the end for us. Really, we can be pure through Jesus. We can stay pure through Jesus. By faith, we hold on to that. And we say, you purified me now. Listen, all of us come. And we've come through some things and we've come from some things that have scarred our souls, have scarred our memories, have dug deep trenches in us where, where really if it rains, that's where the water flows, down those trenches again. In hard times, the water goes down those same roots and those same paths because we've had scars and deep things that have been dug in us. And I want to tell you, just with all conviction that I can muster up, that Jesus Christ can make those places filled again. Those trenches can be filled. Those memories can be cleansed. Where you remember that I did all that. But it's like it wasn't me. It's like I'm not even... A, I don't feel a connection to that. I don't know that evil. I know of it. But I don't know it. I'm innocent again. This is what Jesus can do. Man's attempt to do this is merely fig leaves. That's the best man can do. But Jesus can give you His glory to cover you, to keep you from evil, to keep you from the hands of the, the wicked one, to keep you from His grasp, to keep your mind from that stuff. Oh, that when you... The, the temptation can be such, just like it was to Jesus, where He was tempted... But he immediately responded with the word. And never gave it a place. Never gave it a foothold in his life. God is able to do this. He is able, he's willing, and he's desiring to do this in our lives. And in our kids. Our kids can go to a school. Now, I realize God speaks to you about your children. Some of you he may say homeschool. Some of you may say send to a different school. Some of them he may say send to public school. But they, wherever they are, they're going to be exposed to things. God is able to keep them. God is able to keep them. But you do your job as a parent to raise them up in the ways of the Lord and make them wise into what is good. For when they know the goodness of the Lord, they've tasted and seen that He is good. The stuff that's not good is going to be more apparent to them. When they know the light, the darkness is very obvious. I'm so happy that He's done this for us. That what was lost is now restored. That that innocence is, is back. It's, it's coming back that, that He says we can be innocent of evil. Like, like newborn children. Like, like young people that have never had to experience the awful things that life has to offer under the curse. That we can be truly redeemed, bought back, covered by the blood of Jesus. And knowing His goodness and innocent of everything else.